Welcome to the Engineering Voices Podcast, the podcast by and about engineers and their profession. Here we explore how engineers invent, innovate, and inspire with contributions on design, innovation, engineering education, and practice, as well as careers for engineers and those aspiring to one day become one. I'm your host, Alex Fries, and today's guest is Mark Russell. Mark is the founder and CEO of Hypersciences. I've known Mark for many years, and he's got a tremendous background on the aerospace, aerospace design. He's worked in a number of uh, early-stage space companies. He's uh, worked for NASA. For the last several years, he's been uh, on the entrepreneurial route, building his own company that is offering and developing revolutionary technology that is not only going to enable people to fly into space, but also for underground drilling. So I'm very excited to have Mark here join us to talk about his way of innovating, how his technology is impacting the world, and um, some advice for people that may think about following in the same footsteps. So uh, just to set the stage a little bit, Mark, you are the founder of and the CEO and founder of Hypersciences, right? Which yeah, that's has correct. A, yeah, has a, an extremely cool. Um, um, logo or, or, or um, you know, the, the harnessing the power of extreme velocity, which is super cool. What, yeah. <laughs> tell power. me a little bit, tell me more about that. What, yeah, what power is uh, energy per unit time. So uh, our, we're a platform hypersonics technology. The idea um, uh, as a technology company, um, the idea is what can you do with this uh, insane velocity? And it turns out you can do some pretty radical things. Um, we actually are able to disrupt three major industries. Uh, we're able to disrupt um, uh, the energy business uh, through a creation of a new drill with projectiles like this and millions more like it. We fire one after the other to revolutionize how uh, we impact rocks, believe it or not, you can drill without even rotation, uh, rotation anymore. You can simply pulverize the rock directly with hypersonic impact in a hydroelastic uh, event every few seconds and totally transform the way we can access deep geothermal energy. One of the biggest problems with getting to deep energy is the cost of drilling and completing your well. Uh, we all live on this planet that's you know this big and Technically, we're only smart enough to drill the thickness of our thumbnail relative to the size of Earth. Um, and that could be said, actually, of, of uh, space flight uh, through the atmosphere. It's a very similar depths that you're dealing with. Um, so we use this hypersonic technology to break rock, um, to tunnel faster, like Elon Musk wants to tunnel faster, create transportation networks underground. We think that's a big, bright future, uh, as well as uh, the opportunity that are really, you know, kind of looked hard at the technology about 10 years ago to hypersonically impulsively launch uh, the first stage through a thick atmosphere on momentum alone. So you can then release your payloads you want to insert into orbit. So as a platform technology, we're just getting good at going really, really fast and applying it in up, down and sideways directions. That is, that is so, <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, it's, I like, you know, kind of Amazon or Uber for going super fast. <laughs> What is, what is super fast? You put some numbers on that. Yeah, so super fast, we generally, we use SI units. Um, hypersonic, so supersonic is, you know, any time you're going above the speed of sound uh, under normal atmospheric standard temperature and pressure, STP, you're looking at uh, 343 meters per second or, you know, just over a thousand uh, feet per second. 
Uh, in hypersonics, it's typically five times the speed of sound or higher. Um, you can do some really interesting things when you hit that um, Mach 5 range and above. Uh, the opportunity is you're actually going almost supersonic in rock or uh, you're able to punch through thick atmosphere very quickly and put yourself to the edge of space on momentum alone. So hypersonic is, um, you know, 1750 meters per second. So it's, it's very, very fast. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, there's been some talk on the hypersonic, um, well, the weaponry, the hypersonic weaponry, that seems to be the, 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 uh, you know, the, 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 the latest development, but obviously that's, that would be almost like orbital flight or sustained because you, I mean, you, you impart a, 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 a your projectile gets a certain initial momentum and then that is sufficient to sustain its flight until it's accomplished its mission, right? There is no right, right. Yeah. So you're generally um, orbital. You know, you're looking at uh, something on the order of uh, you know seven and a half uh, kilometers per second is what uh, generally uh, you're looking for orbital flight, and it takes about two kilometers per second worth of delta V to get you through the atmosphere. So you sort of every rocket that you've got to work on has to overcome gravity and uh, drag issues, uh, adding a certain amount of delta V. And then you have to have this other delta V that puts you sideways right around the planet tangentially. So you, every vehicle has to put in this drag gravity loss and still get seven and a half kilometers a second. So what we do is we start with about two kilometers a second. So we, we start with all that drag and gravity loss momentum and we just basically have then small rockets that can insert you into orbit. That's sort of the long-term vision of Hypersciences and its partner company um, to do that. But uh, you okay. know, just to start with the amount of work you can do and, uh, with things that are going sort of Mach 5 and above, uh, this use of it as a drill or use of it as a tunneling device allows you to get really, really good at it. Yeah. Um, as you're a pilot, I'm a pilot, and we know today 30,000 airplanes will take off and land. And yeah we'll have no failures. Uh, this year, less than 350 rockets will take off and only a few of them will actually land um, back down in the first stage. So it's hardly comparable yet. And the idea of Hypersciences and its partner companies is to actually fly thousands of times a day so yeah. that you can, uh, you can create this new network of uh, transportation, both in the atmosphere and out in space. But we're getting good at firing lots of small projectiles, much like uh, you would do in a wind tunnel, right? So we, we fly these uh, smaller projectiles. We actually make money flying them, uh, as well as we get really good at all the systems that you need to fly big stuff every yeah. few seconds. Yeah, there's a really neat video where you do a, a I'm assuming a scale test of a sort of the, the uh, suborbital um, which is a little bit bigger than that one, the one that you hold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's nine feet tall. <laughs> yeah, that's the one we did down at Spaceport America. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a really cool video out there. Um, so how do you accelerate to that speed? How do you, you know... Uh, oh, yeah, you... yeah. Well, hold on. I'm going to go grab this thing so you can see. I know some of your students may be watching the video. So, so this is... this. We, we started out, actually, at this scale. So, you can... so it's audio. We're going to do mostly audio. So maybe just describe what you're holding, too, if you could, um, as we're... You... Okay. So can you, can you hear me okay? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what I'm holding is this is... Um, 
uh, a ram accelerator projectile. It's a uh, four inch or a hundred millimeter diameter and it's L over D is about seven or so. And what, uh, what happens is as um, it's basically a wave rider in a tube. It rides a shock wave that's created by putting simple industrial propellants, natural gas and air um, into a tube. And then we give it a kickstart with uh, air, compressed air, compressed uh, helium, in the case of some of the universities, or in our case, we actually use combustible products. It gets it up to um, what we call ramming speed, which is over Mach 1. It sets up a shock wave, and then it, it self-ignites and combusts that fuel and oxygen that's pre-mixed, and it sets up a normal shock, and it just rides that normal shock like um, a surfer riding a wave in the ocean. It just it rides that thing, and um, unlike a gun, a gun has highest peak pressure and then drops um, as the projectile moves. This one actually keeps that peak pressure all the way through the tube. And in fact, you can um, switch gears, if you will, by having different propellant combinations in different stages ahead of it. We just fill, say, the first stage with air and natural gas. The second stage may be um, uh, hydrogen and air because you basically tailor the sound speed. Your job is to keep your sound speed um, in the realm, this projectile in the realm of Mach 3, and as you go faster and faster, you'll need to change your propellant combination. So you can exit at, uh, well, it's been demonstrated to almost half orbital velocity. Um, it's gone over uh, uh, 2.7 uh, kilometers per second. Wow. That's pretty darn fast. How, how long, <laughs> how, yeah, that is, that is extreme. How long of, a, of an, you know, like how long does your accelerating tube or your, um, you know, your launch ramp effectively have to be and because that's directly related into the G loading and to the, you know, the acceleration. Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting is your, uh, it depends. Uh, it's really the answer. It depends on how many, how, uh, how fast over what distance. So it comes down to fill pressure and the mass of the projectile that you want to fire and the area in which you're using. So a small projectile like this, um, you can fly in a tube that might be um, 10 meters long mm -hmm. and uh, 15 meters long, and you're able to get through, you know, an exit of, uh, you know, one and a half uh, kilometers a second in that sort of time uh, and uh, short range. And these are sort of in the 100 to 200 gram projectile range. If you want to fly something like this, uh, this is, uh, you know, multi-kilogram and our tubes actually scale up with this. Uh, they're similar in length, probably more like, um, you know, 30 meters long, 40 meters long. Uh, but if you want to launch something up to the edge of the atmosphere um, and you're willing to stay within, you know, the realm of where cell phones and kind of commercial off the shelf electronic G loads sort of the thousand to 2000 Gs, then you need to make it a little bit longer. The, the small projectiles can handle tens of thousands of Gs, no problem. Um, uh, smaller payload satellites, those kind of things are going to want to fly without so many G's, but still a thousand or 2000 G's. That's what we did at Spaceport America is tested the G load settling at around 1500 G's. And those, those are, you're looking at hundreds uh, of feet. So about a water well, I mean, honestly, we actually use a drill rig. Uh, you can drill a hole, uh, you can drop the projectiles in, fill it with gases, 
and you've got yourself a hypersonic launcher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's some special sauce in making that happen. Uh, but, uh, that's I'll, really the vision is uh, drill a hole, go to space. I'll put one in my, <laughs> put one in my backyard. <laughs> what's the, what's the, yeah. <laughs> uh, what's, what's the cost comparison? I mean, there must be a huge cost advantage over traditional, you know, first stage. Uh, yeah, from an industrial standpoint, this is part of the reason Hypersciences was set up um, as um, a platform is that you could utilize this technology on the smaller scale for drilling. And in fact, one of the world's largest uh, energy companies, a shell and another one and a world-class mining company also have joined us uh, because they see that you can fire these projectiles uh, lower cost than a conventional gun, much higher velocity, and you can do this industrial work uh, at 30 to 50% lower cost. So the actual operating cost compared to say, drilling and blasting a tunnel is like 30% cheaper, but we're like five times faster. So your access to your resource goes up almost a, nearly an order of magnitude and the cost decreases. This is like totally a win. And all the while we're learning how to fly fast and, and cheaply. So when you come to actual flight, um, you know, similar um, analogies uh, can be applied. You're, you're leaving all your complex capital on the ground instead of taking this huge rocket and having to slowly, you know, beat gravity and drag. You just took that big, huge rocket, stretched it out and left it in the ground and you fly through your fuel tank. Yeah. So the, uh, you're going to be able to change the cost uh, by an order of magnitude for reaching uh, orbit as well. Wow. That is, and the flight rate change will be just multiple orders of magnitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's the current status? I mean, where where are you at? What what your your, I mean, how long has the company been up and running? And, and yeah, so we we started the company actually in like late 2014. We got funded. Um, that's a whole another path is trying to teach people that you really should invest because all this thing, great stuff's going to happen. And then and we've seen, we were way early in hypersonics. I mean, very few, there are, we're really the only commercial industrial, uh, you know, commercial hypersonics company. There's a few out there trying to do just launch, but we're actually platform. Um, so we got funded. We started in on contracts with shell for drilling and, um, we're at a point where every 20 seconds we, we just continually fire, um, all the time with these smaller scale systems, we call them hyper cores. Um, and you load them in, um, in magazines like uh, cartridges. Um, unlike, it's not like a gun, you're not carrying all your propellants. You're just, you're just putting this cute little, uh, um, you know, granite and concrete uh, or, you know, plastic projectiles in there and firing them every few seconds. So we're there um, down at Spaceport America, we've built test rigs and brought those down and fired uh, up uh, into the atmosphere, not super high altitude, not super high velocity on the larger scale yet, but we're getting there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, this is fascinating. I mean, I'm just looking at the website here, hypersciences.com. And there's, there's a great video and footage of how, how the drilling works, for example. So if I read that correctly, there is this small tube in the middle of a rotating drill that kind of melts this, the material ahead of the, of, the, of the standard drill pretty much and just accelerates the drilling tremendously, right? Is that how it, how, how it works? Yeah, that's right. Um, it turns out when you fire a projectile at hypersonic speeds right in front of a rotating drill bit, uh, you break about 70% of the rock. Uh, and you're doing that about every five seconds. So the drill bit actually only is there to sort of now clean up yep. and make sure you have a nice, uh, you know, uh, 
a nice clean hole to bring the the ejecta back. My my whole you know background uh, as a kid, I was my father ran some of the world's largest mining companies, and I was kicking around underground. So uh, I was the black sheep of the family that went into the aerospace business and then came back uh, to work in the mining business. So I led drilling projects for one of my brothers after um, I spent about a decade and a half in Seattle running uh, first uh, for Boeing on, uh, I worked on 737, then later on a space program. I got my master's at Stanford while I was working there uh, in aeroastro engineering. Uh, I led uh, the development of spacecraft separation for Boeing Sea Launch, and then went on and eventually became lead engineer and manager for crew capsule development at Blue Origin. And I looked at the flight rate and sort of the big picture of chemical, big, huge chemical rockets. And I said, you know, we just need a paradigm shift. And so I went underground to launch into space. So that's my story is I had this vision of you could actually learn to cycle through and, and, and uh, not only pay for the development of it with ter terrestrial industrial technologies, but get really, really good at it. But you, I mean, that's a great segue because I was going to sort of go back into how you actually come up with ideas like this, because this is not something, um, something that like, you know, uh, like it's not an evolutionary design. It's a revolutionary way of, of, of changing things. So is that, you said you, you had that idea underground. Is that something that's I did actually before I even worked for Blue Origin, I, uh, I was actually working on an X prize vehicle, um, and XPRIZE was this $10 million or $20 million race to space where three people could launch a vehicle up, uh, ride it back down and, and collect their prize if they did it again in two weeks using most of the spacecraft. So I was working at Intel um, on shock uh, dynamics. Uh, I call them toaster parts, but it was basically the retention mechanisms for, uh, for heat sinks. So I got really good at, at impact loading, shock loading, Uh, all the while in my garage, like I know you build aircraft, I was building spacecraft uh, in my garage. And we ended up getting funded, we flew a quarter scale, and I had this, you know, like, okay, it's still a complex rocket, even though I, it was a lifting body, and it worked really well. And I said, you know, I was talking to my father, and I said, I have this idea that you could actually punch out of the atmosphere through uh, a, you know, changing the atmosphere in a mine tunnel with some kind of distributed injection system. And I didn't realize it, but at that time I had, I basically, uh, while I didn't invent Ram Accelerator, it was a concept that sort of drove it. And I had seen this years before and I realized, oh my God, I think this thing was invented at the University of Washington called Ram Accelerator. That's the only uh, distributed um, you know, combustion system that uh, works and is scalable. I mean, even electromagnetics their super high capital and high velocities are really hard because the energy uh, that you need to deposit, they, they kind of ruin themselves uh, in their, their uh, launch tubes. That's not the case of this. It's all gas dynamics and works really well. So anyway, it was kind of emerging, you know, as a kid, you're, you know, kicking around, but it's, it's part of it is just passion of wanting to solve a problem uh, that you really care about. Ultimately, I want to fly in these things every You know, every day, if I wanted to, I get on an airplane to go to New Jersey. Why the hell can't I get on a rocket and you know go to the moon and come back and do it again in a week? That's, oh, but that, that's the, energy. The, but that's the difference between 
between you and, and many other people is that you see, you see these big steps happening and, and you know, the traditional um, evolutionary route is just, you know, most people take that one. But uh, you brought up a great point here and, and um, you know, just for the listeners here, it's, so I've known you for like 25 plus years and you said that you built a spaceship in your garage and I'll never forget when I first met you, I opened the door and you had a, you were building a, an airplane in your living room, I believe, or in your kitchen or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I worked at NASA for, um, as an intern for, geez, was it two, uh, 1990, whatever, 92 to 94 or so. And, um, yeah, I got into kit planes, well, you know, kit plane magazines. We, I couldn't afford to buy a kit plane. Even the plans were expensive. So I went and found a, it was a parasol wing wooden airplane and yeah, started building that in my bandy, apartment right? at NASA on, in the evenings. Uh, uh, but you had it. You had it at RPI too. I did have it at RPI. I didn't. You know, I never quite finished it, but it sure taught me a lot. You know, it's oh, still, yeah. it's still in pieces laying around. You still have it? It was. It oh was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was it? <laughs> was it a Banty? I think if I it was the Banty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, that inspired us to go wing, off. Yeah. Like kind of model off the Pete and Paul. Pretty yeah, cool. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I love those things. Uh, <laughs> and you fly now? You actively fly? So you? I you, am. I am. I actually just got my. Uh, my third class medical, I, you know, I get it renewed every two years and yeah. um, I'm good to go. Awesome. What do you, what, what <laughs> do you I bring my cheater glasses with me? Well, you know, here, look, I've got, I, I'd had mine taken off. <laughs> yeah. so. <laughs> um, so just, just, I mean, this is fascinating just to, to sort of close the loop here is, um, I mean, you've had a very active career. You've done a lot of entrepreneurial stuff. You mentioned, um, you know, you worked, I think you were, you were in the very first stages of Blue Origin as well, right? You worked. Yeah, I, somewhere. I think I was employed like 10. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that is, uh, our, my previous guest was Giovanni, Giovanni Greco, who had. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 He, he was an engineer at 10. He was a little later down the road. But what do you sort of include well first of all what do you like what do you dislike about your i mean you're super passionate about what you're doing and and you are visionary uh, what what's the thing that 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 you don't like so much in the work that you're doing now oh i think it is it's really simple i think it's the uptake of new technology into big you know kind of uh, old-fashioned industrial companies takes a long time so sometimes you have to own the problem if you know, end to end. So a good example is we've got a great, you know, one, one great mining company that's working with us, but they have this really great vision for the future, but there's a whole bunch of them that could be part of this market. I mean, it's a, it's a hundred billion dollar market, but they just take forever to, you know, be interested and adopt new technology. Uh, you'd think everybody would be, you know, just dying for your new thing, but generally you'll know you have a revolutionary idea if you have to eventually you know, own the entire market yourself or, you know, own large chunks of it because people just aren't ready to jump ship. It's already working. Why would they change something that's already working? So firing projectiles uh, in, in just digitally mining instead of drilling and blasting is just like, what, you know, I don't have to use explosives. I, you know, so it gets complicated trying to put new technology into an old, an old tech industry. So I'd say that's, that's always, that's always tricky. And what it does is it creates an opportunity rather than a problem because for instance, uh, for two years, we really followed what the mining companies or the energy companies wanted. And later we just said, look, we're going into business. We have our own deposits. In fact, we have a world-class um, 
rare earth and uh, quartz pot deposit. Quartz is this really hard, super hard rock, but you need it, it's super clear. Uh, it's needed for silicon panels, uh, for solar panels, for making chips, and they'll pay thousands of dollars a ton for high purity stuff. And by the way, it's like damn near impossible to drill and blast this stuff. So for us to just digitally mine it out, we can actually have our own uh, very, very profitable mine. But whoever thought there'd be a hypersonic mining company? That's us. Yeah, yeah. So, but so, but that's the the role. So the the sort of selling it, bringing bringing this new technology, and 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 making opening the traditional established industry up for this novelty. That's, I mean, that's the role of the CEO, right? So you have to go out there and talk to these people. And that's the, that's the thing that's probably. Yeah. I think it's a trick when you're also your CEO, founder and CTO at the same time. So right now we're, you know, we've got a great team over at the university of Washington. We've got some great folks at university of Texas at Austin that are working with us. But when you're trying to package everybody in these industries, including yourself would like to have it, you know, shovel ready. You really have to bring the shovel to yeah. the party. So um, I spend quite a bit of time making sure not only not only does the vision get out there to these people, but it's also about do we deliver to our customers a tool that they cared about and we cared about. And so integration's tricky. You gotta you gotta give them in in a way that they already understand it. So I, I spend a lot of time in the technology role too, which uh, I look forward to. Uh, a bunch of your students applying to work for us so they can take take my job over and I can oh that I can <laughs> I can go out and tell big stories as a CEO. That may well happen. <laughs> is that where you, the, is that your is that your favorite part, the technology side of things? Um, no, I love telling our story. I love raising money. I love I love I mean there are facets of it. I think uh, he, you know you have to get really passionate um, about the vision in order to put up with the minutiae of every single detail. The physics, you can't cheat physics. Straight up, I, we've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> you, you, everything has to work. Everything, every time. And we're, you know, we're basically reinvented a way to ballistically launch things and everything's different. It's a whole new language. So yeah. it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know, to me, it's like building a new microchip or you know, the beginning yeah. of the internet. It's oh, totally, it's totally new. It's so clear that you're so passionate. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I know you're busy. So just maybe in closing, what would you tell a junior engineer, um, you know, college senior that's interested in sort of going a similar path of, of that has the entrepreneurial spirit in there, the innovation spirit? What would you tell them? What's important? What, what should they take? A, should they take away from college? Um, you know, we always stress things like teamwork, communication, in addition to making sure that you know the physics behind it. Um, and then what are, you know, what, what are the big takeaways? What should they sure. focus on? Yeah. Um, so first, uh, you know, get your degree, <laughs> be a, uh, really understand the fundamentals. Like, well, um, we are very, <laughs> um, when I interview, when we interview, um, we're really, uh, set the bar high that, you know, you really have to understand your fundamentals. You don't have to be a rocket scientist who, you know, with a rocket, you know, degree in aerospace engineering to work for us, but you do have to understand the fundamentals of, of uh, engineering and physics because it's those fundamentals that keep you grounded. Uh, second, I think it's really important that you, you have a passion for what you're doing. Why? The why is so important. It, it, it takes you through the hard road when things get tough. Uh, you remember why you started the company or why you joined the company. 
um, and that, that takes you through. And I'd say, um, you know, you're going to have to make a lot of choices in your life. Um, and there are two good times to decide to be entrepreneurial. It's either at the beginning of your career or it's later. I, I actually took the second path. Um, I didn't know actually I was an entrepreneur uh, in this way. I knew I always wanted to fly. I always wanted to be an astronaut pilot. So I had this path, this vision, and I went to work for NASA and only until I got laid off with, you know, 19,000 other Boeing engineers did I realize like, oh, maybe there isn't this clear cut path to, you know, riding in a rocket. And, uh, you know, that was interesting. I worked at NASA, I worked at Boeing, I worked at Intel. And finally, I'm like, I just, apparently this isn't going to get solved by anybody else. So, you know, if you're going to, if you want to try something new, um, either start early uh, as an entrepreneur, but recognize that you might be in for the first five years, learn from somebody that's working with you. Maybe you know, do a startup with somebody that's seasoned like me, who really understands how to frame how you can uh, learn all those skills so that you can either join kind of the big workforce and go work for the SpaceX's and the, the uh, Blue Origins, or you really have been successful with a small company. But uh, yeah, you just think about which, which, which you want. I mean, I remember when I had a 401k plan and there was like, you could take half a day off on Fridays and you could have vacation. And I was, you know, I got married and it was like, you know, all this cool stuff. And then I realized like, I'm not, I'm not getting where I want to go in my career. So let's, let's go straight to hell and start our own company. <laughs> So, so I've been, Molly actually helped me do a startup uh, years ago. Uh, it was a pre Uber rideshare thing. And I'll tell you what, nothing will make you wake up in the morning um, after spending a bunch of money and time realizing that you should have just stuck with that. And you wouldn't have to ask anybody for money if you had uh, stuck with uh, you know, rideshare. I remember that was kind of like Uber, ah, but uh, before yeah. Uber. Yeah. We got told, and don't believe, don't believe the old guys that are the old, you know, the old guard because They'll tell you you're wrong, it's legal, it's whatever. Actually, do your physics, make sure the fundamentals work, and understand your market. I guess that would be it. Be passionate, understand that you're solving a problem that people actually want to pay you for eventually. I think that's fantastic advice and, 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 uh, and a great, great takeaway for my students or for any junior engineers that are out there listening to this. Yeah, well, uh, so thanks I'm, for having me. Thank you very much for coming and for, for joining your, your passion with us. Thank you very much for joining us in this third episode of Engineering Voices. As always, you can find more information on the show notes of this podcast. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a recommendation or comment. Thank you for listening in. This is Alex Fries signing off until next time on Engineering Voices.